Amen. The scripture says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. The Amplified Bible says, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. And behold, the fresh and the new has come. Now, there's another translation. It's called the Weymouth translation. I like the way that it says it, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, so if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old state of things, the old state of things has passed away. And a new state of things has come into existence. Amen. Now, most of you all who've been uh, um, in the New Life in Christ class, you know that this is one of, I guess, basically the foundational scriptures for talking about the new life that you experience when you accept Christ in your life. But there's something that's in-depth always about the Word of God and always about the mind of God and always about the things of God, that if he says something, even if we think we've grasped the foundation of it. There's so much more that he's saying. And so we don't need to think that there is a subject or there is a scripture or there is a thought or there is even a statement that said initially that we couldn't go back and rehearse or revisit that statement, that scripture or that thought. Amen. So we should never think that Second Corinthians 5 and 17 is only a scripture that's used for um, the new birth or to be used only if we're talking to people who we're trying to get them to understand what happened when they accepted Christ in their life. This is a scripture I believe that we'll find continually in our lives that have substance and it has information, wisdom that we need. Amen. Now, when we talk about a new class of being, we understand that, you know, in the beginning, God established these um two people or two beings that he expected to have or to produce a family from, to produce a whole new um, species from. Amen? Let's look at that scripture in Genesis 1 and 26. Now the scripture says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Do you see that? Now, it starts off saying God said this. So this is a whole plan inside of the mind of God. This is not a plan inside of um, anybody else's mind. The scripture didn't say, well, God heard somebody else say. Uh, God said with somebody else and they told him, why don't you make a man? No, the scripture gives us the, sh the assurance that this was all God's plan. And he had a, he, he, he had something in his mind when he said that he wanted to make a man. Well, he wanted to make a man, a species of being that he would call man. Amen. Now let's look at Genesis 2 and 7. In the second chapter of Genesis, we know that the writer revisits what happened in Genesis 1 uh, and 1 
on down to verse 26, because in Genesis 2 and 1, he starts off talking about that this is the happenings or the families or the, the families, or this is how the families of the earth began. We're, we're looking at Genesis 2 and 7, and the scripture says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Well, we realize that here in Genesis 2 and 7, as it revisits Genesis 1 and 26, it talks about how God formed the man, meaning making his, making his outer shell. But then in 2 and 7, it gives us more um, clarity about how the man became a being. Initially, he was just a, a shell. He was just what we call our body. He was just a body. But then in 2 and 7, it comes back and it revisits that and it tells us, okay, now he wasn't just a body now. He became a living soul. In the original uh, translation, it says he became a speaking spirit. I just love it. Amen. Not only was he just a shell, not only was he just the body, but then God breathed life into him. The only kind of life that God has is the God kind of life. The only kind of life that God has is the spirit kind of life because God is a spirit. And so when he breathes and he he breathes his life, then it's spirit life, amen, that he'll breathe into something or that he gives. So the man became a living soul or he became a speaking spirit. Now, okay, you all ready? Let's look at Genesis 6 and 4. Genesis 1 and 26, we see, excuse me, how God initiated making a species of being. And then in 2 and 7, it gives us more in-depth in depth about that this man was not just supposed to be a shell, but this man was to have the life of God on the inside of him. And not only was he to have the life of God on the inside of him, he was to be a speaking spirit. He was to speak life, that, that life that lived on the inside of him. He was to live it out and speak it and cause a creation of being that as God had spoken, that he was to speak also. Amen? Now, in Genesis 6 and 4, I mean, a, a good many of things have happened from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6. But in Genesis 6, see, something happened. Every time God sets out to do something, there's always these undercurrents that try to come in and either try to um, diminish what God has done or try to recreate something that's a counterfeit of what God meant. Genesis 6 and 4, look at what it says. The scripture says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that meaning they were there in those days and they was they they were still living on even after that and it says when the sons of god now these how these this is how these giants came to being when the sons of god came into the, the daughters of men and they bare children to them and they became mighty men which were of old men of renown do you see that now there was something going on between there was there, there there was a coming together with something of heaven and with something of earth. Mm -hmm. And something spiritual with something natural. Let's read the scripture again. It says there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in, that means they had sex, came in unto the daughters of men, and they bear children, and to and to them the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. This is why the scripture says there were giants 
they considered those men or those the mankind that was born out of the sons of God coming together and the daughters of men coming together, they considered them giants. And they said that they lived in the earth. Well, again, that's we had something going on between heaven and earth. And they produced physical giants. And some were mental giants because they were intellectual. Now, when you look this up, um, there was a certain name that was given to them, and um, they were called Nephilims, uh, which is N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. And that, that name in and of itself gave representation to what type of men they were. They were those who were fallen from the true purpose and the original, the original plan. Did you all understand what I just said? <gasps> Wait, there were some men that that came up and they were part of a fallen nation or a fallen generation, yeah. And they weren't true to the original plan or the original purpose. Now others others translate the original word, which literally signifies earthborn, and which we follow then term giants without having any reference to the meaning of the word, which we generally conceive to signify persons of enormous stature. The word, though, if we would go back to its original meaning, didn't just mean people who were of enormous stature. Every time we talk about giants, we think about people who are over anything normal. What would you all consider a normal height? 5'10", 5'11", 6'2", 6'5", 6'7"? Are we getting into giantism now? 6'2", <laughs> 6'2", is normal. Seven, eight? That's baby, right? <laughs> Anything over seven is giantism. Is that what we're saying? Yeah? Well, they were that plus. Amen? They were th that, they, they had some of those that were giants, but when we properly understand the word, it, um, the word, when properly understood, makes a very just distinction between the sons of men and the sons of God. And those were the fallen earthborn men with the animal, with the animal and devilish mind. It wasn't just that they were enormous in their stature. They were men who were devilish in their minds and they were animalistic. Amen. Now listen to what the scripture says. God saw that, well, the scripture says it. I'm not quoting it verbatim. God saw that every imagination or purpose of the thoughts of man's heart were only evil continuously. This is what he said about this state of man that they then, during that time, called giants. But again, they weren't just men that were enormous in stature. They were also men that were, and they considered them giants, they were intellectual. They were intellectual. They had uh, their, their, their imagination, their, um, their, their creativity, everything that they did, they did it, but they did it in an evil way. He saw that every imagination or purpose or the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continuously. This was the bitter root and thus the corrupt spring. The earth, the, um, the heart was deceitful and desperately wicked. 
the principles, their principles were corrupt and the habits and disposition were evil. Their designs and devices were wicked. They did evil deliberately, thriving how to do mischief. That was that when, when you see that word giant again in the scripture, don't just think about somebody who's enormous in stature. They were people who in their thoughts, they had great ideas, they had great designs, they had they had they had great purposes, but they all were evil. And they were opposite to what the plan and the purpose of God was. Amen. Now, do you all see that? Now, look, you, you see, there was a mix that was made there that was not God ordained. God did not ordain for the sons of God and the daughters of men to get together. They didn't make a pure, a pure breed. If anything, they messed up the breed. They messed up the being. They messed up the person that God had had ordained from the beginning. He never meant for there was there to be a spiritual and a natural mingling together in that way. Not that way. He meant for him as being God in um, correcting what happened in the garden. He already knew that he had to have a plan of salvation, but he knew that that plan of salvation could not come any other way but by him implanting his seed in the daughter of a man. So when we look at this, we see that even back in Genesis 6 and 4, that the enemy was trying to do something that God already had a plan to do, and all he did was create men that continually thought and did evil. Wait, how was Jesus born? Yeah. But it it came through a divine seed. Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all are not, y'all got to be good students. Y'all got to keep up. Amen. And do you know in the midst of God having Jesus to come into the earth and there was a mix between heaven and earth, his intention was to make giants. Okay. All right. That was the intent. But the time was not now. The time was not then. The time was not the way it was done here. It was to be done between God and Mary. But the enemy, he wanted to create something. He wanted to misuse and abuse and bring more evil in the earth by taking a plan that God had. <laughs> by taking a plan that God had and just misuse and abuse it. Okay, do we need to read the scripture again? Okay, let's read it again. Just in case. Amen. What does it say? You read it. Genesis 6 and 4. What did it say? Oh, my goodness. Do you see that? The father knew to make the new class of being that there would have to be a, a coming together of something spiritual and something heavenly with something natural and something earthly. But it was not to be now. It was not to be then. It was not to be with them. It was to be between him and one that he had chosen who would say in Luke that she was highly favored of the Lord. It would definitely be a daughter of men, 
but it was not to be the sons of God. From that union was to come sons of God, but the son of God was not to initiate it. He was only to come out of it. Sometimes I think this is the reason why we don't understand just how great our salvation is. I'm telling you, I really, you know, this might be y'all favorite song, and I'm okay with that, but it does not, I don't like it. I, well, it doesn't speak truth to me. I can, I can go with the part, I guess, about we fall down, but we get up, because we do. There are times that we find ourselves, you know, we're lacking in some things, and we'll get caught and we might have a situation where we've just fallen, you know, and, and, and it's very good when we get up because we're not defeated until we stay down. I don't have a problem with that. The part that does not speak truth to me is a saint is just a sinner who falls down. That, that's not true. A saint is not just a sinner. You can't put those two together. Either I am a saint or either I am a sinner, but I can't be a saint and a sinner together. You can't have those two. Many times that's the reason why our flesh wins over us because, you know, remember Pastor Adam said, God don't have duplexes. He's not living, he's not living on one side in you, and then the devil's living on the other side. Either we live for God or we don't. Either we're going to let God be, either we're going to let Jesus be Lord, or we won't. There's no uh, schizo in this. He's already given us the medication for all the visitors. Yes? What was it? We were in one service, and a, I, Pastor Adam said something. What did he say? He said, oh, I think he said something about I live alone. No, mm -mm. I think that was Friday night. The question was, do you live alone? No, do you have a family and you all sit down at the table together or do you live alone? I said, well, some people would say, now in actuality, I live alone, but all of us do come together at the table. How do we do that? Well, you see, inside of me, I've allowed too many people, too many opinions, too many personalities to live inside of me. Either I'm going to be single and whole inside of him, or I'm not going to live for God, and I'm just going to have all these people and ideas and opinions living on the inside of me. See, I have to make that choice. I have to make that choice. But I can't think that I can go on and progress and advance and have all that the Bible talks about having if I'm going to allow all of these personalities and opinions and, 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 and ideas living on the inside of me. Either I live for God wholly or I don't. Now, see, uh, the mix that was made there was not God-ordered. God didn't order that. For a man to be carnal and spiritual at the same time is to impose an order beneath the original one that was intended. For a man to live carnally and spiritually at the same time is to impose an order beneath the original order ordained. It is not good. It is not good. And some people think it's funny. I've, I've had people to say it to me. I've had people who 
say that they're called to say it to me. I'm just carnal. You're, you're just carnal, so that's funny to you. Well, really, if you're going to keep um, giving yourself the approval and right away to be carnal, then you know what you're saying. You're saying that, God, I can't follow your original plan. And my carnality is going to win out one day. Yeah, yeah. You can't visit being carnal and visit being spiritual and think that you can live the rest of your spiritual life like that. You're going to have to cut off the carnality. If not, the carnality is going to help to cut off the spiritual. Look at the scripture in Romans 8 and 6. We're going to read uh, 6 and 7. Look what the scripture says. For to be carnally minded is death. How can, how can they two? They can't live together. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But because the carnal mind is enmity against God. So whenever you talk about being carnal, you're saying that today I'm just being an enemy to God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. But then look at it. Neither indeed can it be. You can't say, well, yeah, okay, all right, I'm carnal. But, I, but I, you know, I still love God and I still love the word of God and I'm still subject to it. The scripture says it is not subject to the law of God and it, there's nothing in its nature that can be. You can't even make it. You can't force it to be. Again, to say, child, I'm just carnal is to subject yourself to an order that is opposed to God and to subject yourself to the appetites and judgments that go along with it. Y'all all right? I thought when you said a new class of being, you were going to start te tell me about how, you know, it got, God favors me. Okay, that's coming at the end. All right? We're going to get to that at the end. But right now, you need to understand why you cannot live carnally and spiritually and think that it's going to be all right. This new class of being does not live like that. And to, 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 to approve it in your life is to say that, you know what, God, I want everything that you have. But I still want to live in some situations as your enemy. Yeah, in some situations, God... I just want to live as your enemy because I want to be carnal over there in that area. No. No, that's not the perfect rule of God. Amen? Man, y'all going to like this one. This scripture is so good. It wasn't good for the fellow, but it, it's a good scripture because it brings the point. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 5, or 1 through 5. And we're going to read that out of the message translation. Now, this is what happens. When you want to be carnal and spiritual at the same time, you create this being that's just not favorable unto God. Amen? Look at what Paul wrote. Now, he wrote this to the church. This was not to the world. This was not to some club. He wrote this to the church. He said, I also received the report of the scandalous sex within your church family, a kind that wouldn't be tolerated even outside the church. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother. Look at your neighbor and say, oh my God. No, no, what y'all say? Look at your neighbor and say, 
OMG. Wait, Paul wrote this and God wanted it to be written so we could read it? He says, one of your men is sleeping with his stepmother. Oh. Okay, verse 2. And look at what he says. And you're so above it all that it doesn't even faze you. Shouldn't this break your heart? Shouldn't it bring you to your, ne your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? Look at your neighbor and say, see, that's carnality and spiritually trying to live together. Mm -hmm. Some of your neighbors don't want to look, huh? They don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> look at verse 3. He says, I'll tell you what I would do. Even though I'm not there in person, consider me right there with you. Because I can fully see what's going on. I'm telling you that this is wrong. You must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. Look at what he says. Bring it out in the open. And deal with it in the authority of Jesus, our master. If Paul was talking to some of us right now, when we talk about a saint is just a sinner who fall down, he said, okay, you know you a sinner? Bring it out in the open. <laughs> you need to bring that issue that you have out in the open. Now, I am not saying that you're supposed to stand up in front of the church and say, let me tell y'all. No, bring it out in the open to the degree that you find someone that you can trust to pray with you, believe with you, help you fight. Bring it out in the open. Don't try to keep that stuff in and just think, I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it. It's going to be all right. I, you know, a saint is just a sinner who fall down. But, you know, even though I went and I slept with that man last night, I'm going to church in the morning. Keep coming to church in the morning. But let's bring it out in the open because you, you, you don't want to have to sit in the church when the word is going forth and then some, you know, some kind of way the Holy Ghost start talking about fornication or adultery and then your heart is feeling so bad because you know what you just did. Come on, expose your own self. Expose your own self. And it will bring healing. Sure it will. But the longer that we try to act like and try to be carnal and spiritual at the same time, that carnality grows. It grows. Now look at what the scripture says. He says, number four, he says, assemble the community. I'll be, I'll be present in spirit with you, and our master Jesus will be present in power. Look at that. He'll be present in spirit, but he said, see Jesus? Jesus is going to be present in power. Number five, he said, hold this man's conduct up to public scrutiny. Let him defend it if he can. But if he can't, now you see that's his opportunity. That's that man's opportunity. He says, but if he can't, then out with him. It will be totally devastating to him, of course, and embarrassing to him. But better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want him on his feet and forgiven before the master of the day of judgment. Do you see that? Now let's look at this um, same scripture, 1 Corinthians 5, but only verse 5 in the Amplified Bible. The scripture says, after knowing all of this about what this young man is doing with his stepmom, are, are we to presume that his daddy's dead? 
No. No, he's I, I would think he's doing this with his mama, with his daddy's still alive. <laughs> Why don't the daddy know? I don't know. Anyway. First Corinthians five and five. Look at what it says. He says, You are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline. Look at what look at what he says. To destroy carnal lust, which prompted him to incest. Now, why is that important? It's, an, it's important because if you continue with this carnal behavior, thinking you can mix carnal with spiritual, you don't realize that with that carnal behavior comes the things, the lust that prompt things that you don't even, you couldn't even imagine. You don't just up and think that you want to sleep with your stepmother. I don't think, do you? No. You don't just up and think, I'm going to sleep with my stepdad. Do you think that? I know. You up and think, I'm going to sleep with my brother. Do you up and think that? No, man. Nobody up and think those kind of things. Do you think the man that, that's molesting his daughter, do you think he just up and thought, I'm going to molest her, mess up, mess up the rest of her life? You think he, he just sit and thought that? No, ma'am. It's the carnal appetites and lust that bring all of us to those unthinkable places. That's why we can't even play with carnality. You don't want to play with carnality. Right now, you're just carnal in your behavior where you just act ugly with people, your attitude and all of this. But it's, it's, it's even, well, you can't be carnal and not know God. The man who's never received Christ, according to the scripture, is considered a natural man. The only man that can be a carnal man is a man who experienced the change who said, Jesus, come into my life and come into my heart. That means we're playing a game. That man that's on the corner that never received Christ in his life, he can't be carnal. He can only be a natural man. But it's the man who has tasted of God and who have known God, who've accepted God in his life, that can be considered a carnal man. So inside of being carnal, you're playing around with a new, a, a, a new order of being that God meant for you to be and still trying to live with appetites that you were to allow to be dead. Amen? Now, when we go around doing things like, I mean, we've had a moment where God, for some of us, um, being delivered from when God does something great in our lives, Turn your back on it. Walk away from it. Do not revisit that thing again. Look at what he said. He says, to destroy the carnal lust which prompted him to incest, that his spirit may, may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What was needed, uh, what the world needed, what the church needs most, and what just this the, the, just just the world as a whole it needs spiritual giants giants in the realm of um spiritual substance and one of those being faith we don't just need you know I, we get excited about people who are intellectual we get excited about people who are inventors and people who come up with all kind of ideas that's not the world don't just need those type of people the world needs spiritual giant. It's what God intended. He, the world needs people of substance, heavy, sub, 
heavenly substance, such as faith. Now, when we look at Genesis 6 and 4, we saw that the world already had intellectual giants. But because they didn't have that spiritual God being um, one of the being the main ingredient in their life, all they did was create and design and invent things that kept them or helped them to be more evil. Hey, have you ever heard anybody say, yeah, uh-huh, I smoke weed, and I do this and I do that, and if God didn't want me to do it, he wouldn't have created it. So you're trying to say that God made the tree that you're smoking. He made it for you to get high. Or was there a man who one day allowed his mind to just turn and turn and turn and say, why don't I just take this tree and put some fire to it? And see what it's going to do to me. Tobacco, you ever thought about that? How in the world do you come to think that there's a plant that you can stick in some paper and smoke it? I mean, it's going to cause me cancer, but I had an idea that I'm going to roll up a tree put fire to it and smoke it. Now, what kind of mind does that? Well, that's, yeah. That person, there is some intellect. There is some, some smarts in that person. But it was toward evil. Come on now, it was toward evil. I think it's an amazing thing. When you look at this man, um, what's his name, George Washington Carver. Is he the one? Peanuts? This man took peanuts and did all kinds of things with it. And all for the good. There's some things that we um, have that's a part of our lives. That girl, just because this man got an idea to take a peanut, we think it's just peanut butter and peanut brittle, <laughs> peanut this. But there's some things that the oil of a peanut have even helped to create some things that we sit on, that we, that we, that we, um, that furnitures and stuff like the oil of. God's intention is for our intellect to be used toward good, not toward evil. But do you know what? That's according to the thinking of the man. And it's according to the nature that lives on the inside of the man. Now, just because something is made does not mean that it's good for you. It doesn't mean it's good for you. Coke grows, right? Does it grow? Cocaine, it grows. But does it mean it was supposed to go up people's nose? But it's something that grew, right? You can tell the result of a thing if it comes from a God mind or an evil mind by what it does to you. Hmm? Yeah. If it comes from God, then it's only there to give blessing, to give, you know, uh, more of a, a good quality of life. But if it comes from the devil, then it does not give a good quality. It is not a good thing for a man to spend his whole check on a drug that will one day bring him and his family into poverty. That is not a good thing. It is not a good thing that a man who at one time was a good provider, or even a woman who was a good mother, that now because of this thing that you say that God caused to grow, that you're supposed to have, that your children now have to go in foster care because you can't take care of them. That's not a good thing. 
So when you want to try to delude yourself into thinking that everything that comes up and everything that somebody introduces comes from God, that's not true. You have scripture that shows that men can be intellectual, but they can be intellectual toward evil things. And it is to give us a, a evil, just a messed up quality of life. And that is not the will of God. And I cannot live a carnal life and a spiritual life together because that carnal life will override that spiritual life every time. Well, no, you probably won't ever sleep with your stepmother. But what about all those other carnal things that you're doing? Like sometimes you don't want to speak to people. That's not carnal. I thought it was something. Chris and I and Adele, we went to watch some movie. And uh, the young man asked the man to go pick up his uncle and he said, oh, I don't want to go pick him up because he have, he's always in a bad mood. He said, well, think about it. If he's always in that, in, in that state, then it's not a mood. It's a personality. You know what you've been calling a mood? But you in it every day? That's not a mood. It's past mood now. That is your personality. And the only one and the only thing that can deal with a bad personality, <laughs> Minister Katie's thinking, the only one, you know, and the, and the only thing that can deal with a bad personality is the Spirit of God. I'm telling you. Because, you know, you've tried to change your personality. It takes the power of God to do something with that. You've been acting crazy all your life. Man, it takes God to come in and correct that and have people to say, girl, could be so nice. Child, I didn't need to tell Jesus changed my life. Jesus changed my life. That's what happened to me. I met a man. Amen? Let me tell you, there are giants. God, I'm telling you, God's every intent was that for there to be giants in the land. It was his intent. That was the new class of being. The enemy tried to counterfeit that. But God never deviated from his plan. These giants belong to a new order, the new class of being that we're talking about today. Second Corinthians 5 and 7, that 17, that was the new class of being. Those were the giants that, that, that God ordained for the, to be in the earth. The provisions have been made. It's been set in motion. It's been established for this new order. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, humanity as a whole, to become a part of this, this new order, this new class of being. Yeah, giants. They're to be giants in the land. They're to be new in purpose, new in character, and new in existence. That's where we get 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. The scripture says all things are become new. He has a new life, new senses, new faculties, new affections, new appetites, new ideas, and new conceptions. God never meant for us to only be new in one area and not be new in other areas. This new class of being, this new order of being, was there was to be newness of life across the board. His whole tenor of action and conversation is new. He lives, as it were, in a new world. Now, I found this to be interesting. I was talking to Pastor Adam yesterday, and I asked him, I said, well, Adam, how's it going? And he said, oh, it's going good. He said, hey, it's real nice out here. It's nice out here. Oh, that's good. Good. And he said, what is it like out there? I said, they said that it's so hot out there. I hadn't been out there yet. Uh, he said, well, there's a breeze blowing here. I said, mm, 
They didn't say anything about a breeze. I don't think we have a breeze today. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that you can live, we all live in the same world, and the climate can be different in different places? I can tell you something. You can live in one place and go right down the street, and it seems like you're in a new world. But you're still looking at the same sky. Same sky, same city, somewhat same people. But because you just went right down the street and you stand in a certain place, it's like you've moved to a whole different whole different place. Do you know that's what your new life in Christ is like? You're still Katie, but you accepted Christ. And the world to you became new. Even though you're still in that same world, you just move right down the street. And now everything is, is just new to you. You have a new existence because of Christ Jesus. You may still live in that same house that you came from, same children, same husband, same, but I'm telling you, because of Christ Jesus, Something happened on the inside of you, not outside of you, on the inside of you, that made your world new. It made your world new. See, that's that new class of being. That, that's what God meant for all of us. Amen. Um, God, men, the whole creation, heaven and earth and all therein appears in a new light and, and stand related to him in a new manner since. We were created anew in Christ Jesus. This is the new class of being. The scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it uses the word behold. That means that present, visible, undeniable change that happens to us. Something has happened in us that has been translated and we've been translated and become a partaker of his divine nature and our past has stopped being. To God, our past has stopped being. My past stopped being the day that I said, Jesus, come into my life and come into my heart. To God, my past stopped being. That was it. It was over with. He has to convince me that my past has stopped being. But to God, my past has stopped being. And we are now new creation. Amen? Probably Thursday night I'll take up with this and we'll look at Colossians 1, 9 through 14. How about that? Now, uh, let me let me say this to you. I, I don't want to end without saying this. If we note that in Genesis, it is recorded that it took six days to make the first creation. I want you to know that it only took three days and three nights to establish the new creation. Did y'all hear what it said? It is recorded in Genesis that it took six days to make the first creation. But I want you to take note that it only took three days and three nights to establish the new creation. Jesus, when he was in the earth, three days and three nights, three nights, he was establishing a new creation. Six days for the first one, but it only took three days and three nights to create the new creation. Now, don't you find that just awesome? Okay, I'm about to mess up a word. This is awesomer. <laughs> six days for the first creation three days and three nights for the new creation but let me tell you now for a man to have a new birth experience it only takes a few moments 
That's all. That's all. That's all. First creation, six days. New creation, three days and three nights. But for a man to experience the new birth now, it only takes a few moments. It only takes just a few moments. A few moments for a man to say, I give up my way of doing. I give up my way of being. And Jesus, I invite you. Come into my life. Come into my heart and be Lord. At that moment, at that moment, you have now become a new class of being. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The time, the breakdown of the time is getting shorter and shorter. Now just think about it today. If you, through what was said today, would make a choice. For some of you all, if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life. To come and say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. I don't want to play about this anymore. I, don't, I, don't, I know this is the right thing for me to do. I know this is, this is what's best for me. I'm, I'm tired of living like this. Only take a few moments. It'll only take a few moments. But think about it. Let's say you are in Christ. And there are some things that you've been battling with. And you know, you know that this is hindering you from walking in the fullness of what God has for you. Do you know it'll only take you a few moments also? Most of the time, the reason why we're hindered, our hindrances don't start outside of us. They start inside of us. And if we can change our thoughts about those things, then we can change our behavior. The behavior isn't making me do anything. My thoughts. My thoughts are causing that. When, I'm, when I purposely set myself to have a new thought about that thing, then the behavior comes along with it. Anything I've ever fought with, in my life and just felt like it was overwhelming it was doing something to me i had to get new thoughts about that thing once i got the new thoughts about it the behavior the attitude and the the, the character it changed itself because of my thoughts amen now right now today let's say you're in the house and you've never made jesus lord of your life what does that mean that means that you've never prayed the prayer you said jesus i want you to be Lord of my life. I accept that invitation. What invitation? Not by me. I only stand as being a vessel that he uses. But the invitation comes straight from heaven. It comes from God. He says that he wants to have you as his child. He says that he wants to be your father. He says that he wants to take care of you. He says that whatever your issues are, he wants them to be his issues. Amen. This is his invitation. He wants you to come and to be a part of his family. If you're here today and you've never um, accepted the invitation to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're here, if you just lift your hand, we can end moments, moments. You can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. All of the benefits that go along with that, with that we'll be talking about it.